Does managing your religious trauma leave you feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, and alone? When we talked with Emily, another survivor, she said, I always feel like I'm not good enough. I judge myself very harshly and feel it in my chest like an ache. I feel tired, a general kind of depression, sadness, and disappointment. I wish I had more tools. As fellow religious trauma survivors, we've been there and we get it. In fact, that's why we created Beyond the Wound. Beyond the Wound is a virtual summit that helps survivors of religious trauma find the resources, freedom, and connection they seek. Our virtual summit has over 20 trusted thought leaders and licensed experts in the field of trauma and religious trauma. Come and learn how trauma affects your nervous system, gain practical tools for mind-heart-body healing, and learn how to trust yourself. Join us at your own pace between January 15th and February 5th, 2023, at our first annual Beyond the Wound Virtual Summit. Find support and tools to help you move with confidence beyond your wounds of religious trauma and into a life of freedom and safety. Go to beyondthewound.com to register and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your ticket. We hope to see you there because no one should have to walk the path of healing alone. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. We almost had a music uh, licensing issue right there. I started we almost had a lawsuit on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we so were singing we, a song, but yeah, we didn't have the licensed rights sing to sing it. So song anymore. Apparently you can, though, with all these other songs that are on the radio, if you just change the lyrics enough. You can sing a song. Like, I'm like, the cup on my desk is alone. <laughs> there you go. Now it's a parody. It's a, now it's, it's a parody. Now it's yours. See, there's no, there's nothing wrong. Okay. Um, so <laughs> we're gonna, oh God, we have to start <sighs> laughing in this one because this is a, this is a heavy one, everybody. It's gonna get heavy. <laughs> it's um, gonna get heavy. It's gonna get heavy. So. We, a couple episodes back, talked to you guys about opening up a little bit of our own story. Um, We are starting a multi-series episode on a topic very close to CA and I's hearts. And it is, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be a blend of education for you guys, but also a blend of some of our own stories, our own take on this topic, and that topic is religious trauma. So we want to start this off for you guys to give you almost like a foundation of where we're going and how we can start talking about religious trauma. And that's why I said this is going to be a multi-episode you know, episode take. Um, and it is going to be important for a couple of things to be established before we really go into this. So we are going to start with the foundation. But before we even jump into the foundation, we have to do some caveats. And those are very important. And you guys know we are the Both Am podcast. We are the podcast where we hold two simultaneous truths many times that don't seem to go together. We hold blended emotions. We hold complex emotions. We can hold joy and grief in the same breath. 
these are things that can coexist. And that is going to be true in this next multi-episode series on religious trauma. We have to cover a couple of things because every single listener is going to be experiencing something different relating to religious trauma. Okay. So what we mean by that is some people might not be religious at all. Some people might be very, very religious. There's going to be a spectrum. There's going to be people that are very deep into their belief system. And then there are going to be people that might be in the middle. They might be in the wilderness. They might be in the unknown. There might be people that are in the completely different other side of this. And because we know that, we need to hold space for a few minutes about the topics that we're going to cover truly for some of our listeners are not going to be easy to hear and they're not going to be comfortable to listen to. Truly. I need to just slow down for a second and say that we honor your own processing and because just like in the beginning, we don't want anyone to feel like they're getting re-traumatized or they're, they're feeling like they can't handle something. There may be times where I invite you, if the if it gets a little too uncomfortable, then you make that decision. You discern whether or not this is something you can continue listening to or the episode. We will be labeling them. So if you don't want to come back to them, you can skip over these ones. If you want to, CA and I are walking lightly here because we don't want you to enter into a place where you're not ready for, but there is power in sitting in the tension Sometimes there's power in just holding space for a little bit of that dissonance where you can just understand, hmm, I'm having a pretty intense reaction to what CA just said. And I'm, and remember, you're absolutely always allowed to turn off and go do something that's, you know, giving you some, some kind of peace. Okay. And at the same time, keeping in mind that there is something to be said about listening to that part of you that says, what is CA, you know, it could be me too, by the way, but (laughs) what, what about what CA is saying is, is activating something? Is it, is it, is it a protection? Is it a fear of the unknown? Is it, I don't want to open that door, right? So I'm doing this in the beginning because it's important to hear that the last thing we want to do is have this multi-series become this very, you know, re-traumatizing thing for anybody, okay? And at the same time, there's going to be many people that are listening to this that are like, this is information I needed. And that's why we're going back to that episode, you know, that we were talking about what, where do we start sharing stuff that we think people need to hear about our own journey and about our own traumas that would actually be eliciting massive shifts in people's perceptions or massive shifts in their own reflection of self. I don't know if you want to add anything before we move on, but yeah. I think the thing I want to add is that as you're listening, this is, like we said, where there's going to be some education and there's going to be some takes that are like very like personal experience type takes and other things that are informed from like a larger kind of information pool that Jamie and I pull from in like Jamie works with a a lot of 
folks who are dealing with religious trauma. So she's got other perspectives that are informing that as well. And I've got plenty of people in my life that also have that. So it's like some of it's very personal. Some of it's like a little bit more broad and some of it's really just kind of like psychological education type things. And so one of the things I wanted to say is that it's possible as you're listening that some parts of what we're saying ring true for you. Other parts are going to not ring true and other parts are going to just like really completely feel totally irrelevant to you. And so what I wanted to say for that is if you can and if you're comfortable and if you have the space and ability to sit through those different takes, even if it doesn't feel like it's something for you personally, you may know somebody in your life that these types of topics are going to ring true for. And so there's still value perhaps in listening through a particular take, if only to just understand the people in your life better. That's that's even a possibility to consider. So if you're hearing us say something and you go like, oh, well, that's not true, or I, I don't believe that, or I, that's that's not how that topic is supposed to be interpreted. Um, maybe for you, maybe for you, that's not how that topic integrated itself into your mind. But for a lot of people, it is. And so it might still be valuable to hear how that particular topic affects other folks. So that's kind of like the only other thing I wanted to say. Yeah, I mean, that that's the nature of we have, you know, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of different denominations out there. And yeah, there are going to be people that are like, I didn't get taught that at all. Like what you just said, and how you said someone like religious just got taught that I didn't. And so I didn't have that experience. And I'm going to be like, huh, phew, I'm so glad you did it. You know what I mean? Like, I am so glad that that is not how the faith was weaponized against you. I am so happy that you did not have that experience. And the fact that you say something like, I'm a believer, or I believe in this faith system or whatever, and then you're talking to someone who says, oh, I also believe in this faith system. You are talking about two completely different experiences. And it's almost interesting that that like you think each other believe the same thing right because the way you absorbed it is different and I'm going to bring this topic up just for you to get a better sense of the matter even if because you can talk to CA we will we will tell you which what religion me and CA were raised Catholic we had two different experiences of being raised Catholic I found myself way deeper into a like fundamentalist version of Catholicism than CA did. Eventually it did tap into her life first, you know, and did affect her. She can speak on her own, but I I liken it to, we were raised with the same parents, me and CA are siblings, which we're not, but me and CA are siblings. And we sit down and talk to each other one day with the same we're like, we are the same family, right? That's right. the same mm-hmm. denomination. Okay. And we sit down and talk and we'd be like, Hey, remember that trip? And we talk about an event and both siblings had radically rad. You wouldn't even think you were on the same trip, radically different experiences of the exact same environment, the exact same. And this is why I'm pointing this out for people who are like, no, 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 that person, Timmy down the street's the same faith as me. He knows the exact same things that I do. And I go, 
Not necessarily at all. If anything, I would lean to majority, they probably have less in common than you think you do with each other. And so I liken it to the sibling example because you absolutely can be quote unquote talking the same language or having the same operational definitions for faith ideologies and absolutely internally have completely different takeaways from that experience. Yes. Exactly. So from there, I think hopefully that that, yeah, sets enough of a kind of like a, a mental space for you going into this series with us that it's it's going to be complex. It's going to be nuanced. And uh, we're just kind of inviting you to open your minds up a little bit and sit with us, sift with us, and uh, sift hopefully sift with, with us. us and hopefully... Uh, We'll get through some really valuable content here, but let's start with those definitions. Yeah, Yeah. so we're going to start. So obviously we're talking about religious trauma, but CA and I thought it was valuable for you to get introduced to basically the hierarchy of what we're talking about. So we have trauma, which is an emotional response to a disruption, disruptive event, terrible event, you know, whatever kind of event. A lot of people list it as like, you know, assault or violence or... Uh, accident or, you know, a disaster of some sort, right? Um, But we know trauma is so much more than that. It is an emotional response, people, okay? I don't mean it's the event. It is not the death, the accident. It is the response to the incident, okay? It's not the incident, all right? Then we have, and obviously there's more examples, but then we have complex trauma. Complex trauma is where a lot of people think CPTSD or complex trauma, the the C of the trauma, is childhood. It's not childhood. And me and CA already talked about having an entire episode on this. For people who might not want to cover it under the religious trauma umbrella, we're going to probably have an entirely different episode on complex trauma. It's not childhood. And I could see why people would misunderstand that because a lot of people perceive this kind of trauma getting developed in childhood, which it does. I'm not saying it doesn't. And because this type of trauma can absolutely get introduced in childhood, but it can be introduced in any period of our lives. I do need to hold space that that C does not represent childhood. It represents complex. Okay. So complex trauma is trauma that is interwoven into your experience and it is very slow moving. It impacts you in very slow, small incidental ways. These are emotional response to small incidents, incidences that happen over the course of a long period of time. Okay. So when you look at this up in, in any of the literature, they're going to give you very extreme examples. They're going to give you human trafficking. They're going to give you like severe neglect. Okay. And yes, most of the time, the reason why those are listed as the most extreme examples is because there's not enough room in any literature to list every single way that small incidences can impact the development of who we are. We w- It's going to be listed, those huge ones, because those are very long-term examples of how that could be, let's say, you know, your long-term traffic. Yes, there's going to be long-term effects of that, of course. Um, But what we're showing up 
as in regards to this example is how religious trauma falls under the exam most most of the time okay falls under the realm of complex trauma okay and the reason why that most of the time falls into complex trauma is because when we are introduced to religious ideologies the majority of us are children and so what happens when we're children our sense of self is getting developed and how does a sense of self get developed here we go this is why complex trauma mirrors the natural way we develop our identity the the who makes us who we are like how it makes us how, how we are whatever um how does that happen all right well it's slow right like when you trial and error like i'm gonna be the funny dude right in the class like you're not gonna just be funny once and become the comedian. Like you're going to trial and error it. You're going to be like kind of silly every once in a while. And then slowly you're like, I really like this. This is kind of who I am. I'm going to show up as this funny dude. And I'm just going to I'm the class clown. Okay. It happens over I'm just giving a small example, but it happens over systematically like sequential experiences one after the other in slow exposures of that event. Okay. So when we look at how could religious trauma be embodied under the complex trauma umbrella is it's it's truly how we get exposed to religious ideologies. We don't always, you know, many parents don't always just like jump to theology, you know, graduate level at all. They go, here's some Bible stories. Here's some concepts behind those Bible stories. Here's some concepts behind sin. Here's some concepts behind rule and order and hierarchy and, you know, the patriarchy versus my, you know, how to view your mother, how to view your dad, how to view your siblings. Like those things are slowly taught over a long period of time to us. Okay. And what happens is slowly we take into account all the information that's been given us and we slowly integrate that into what makes us who we are which is why when we get a little bit older, get a little bit more context, we get a little bit more formal operational thinking for those people who are in the psychology world, they get more critical thought, all right? I'm just gonna like, you know, layman's terms. Critical thinking. They have more of the ability to critically think about who they are, how they show up to the world, maybe some deeper philosophical concepts. All of a sudden they might think, I don't necessarily agree with my parents. I don't necessarily agree with that ideology. I don't necessarily agree with X, Y, and Z. And guess what? When you not agreeing with your parents turn into you not agreeing with the God of the universe, I'm sorry, there's implications, <laughs> right? Because all of a sudden it's not like, I don't agree with you, dad. It's and dad goes, oh, you don't agree with me, but you think you're better than God? And you're like, oh, God, this is another layer of what I got to do, <laughs> right? So why we're going to, we're going to, you know, go back a little bit. But foundationally, we got trauma, we got complex trauma. And then the, the avenue that we're talking about, okay, complex trauma is a bunch of different avenues, okay? But this avenue, this street we're walking down is underneath religious trauma. And so one less, one tiny caveat before we move on. It's, I don't want you to hear that as it's always under complex trauma. It's just that there are times where 
it will bypass complex trauma and immediately just be like, yes, this is not complex trauma. This is just a very one-time event, right? So maybe someone didn't get raised in religion at all, but there was this one moment that they got put on a retreat and something really terrible happened to them. And it was from a religious ideology and that shook the core of who they are. That absolutely can just be bypassing complex trauma and just be one you know, response to an incident that happened, okay? Please hear that. Please understand that these are a both and, and we are in, for the sake of this very, you know, involved, nuanced topic, we're going to lean more to the complexity of the matter and not underestimating at all that there are people out there that have these very visceral, I only encountered this once and it radically changed me. That is valid as well. Okay. Please understand that's very valid here. It's just for the sake of this, we want to be a little more clarifying through the lens of complex trauma. All right. So let, let's, let's, uh, let's open with that. Um, CA, so yeah, let's, what if we start with some examples? This might be the best. <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to say, like moving, moving into this next portion of the episode is that when it comes to, okay, when it comes to understanding why this is harmful for a person who is literally developing their sense of self. Uh, We really need to understand this from the most like basic (laughs) building block understanding of, of why this ends up being harmful for a person because it, it's it's harmful in the experience of being raised with certain ideologies and when you are a kid or a preteen or a teenager and you're still developing like you don't even nece- you you might have dissonances inside of you and like feel the effects of you know, feeling fear or shame or these various very uncomfortable experiences, but you might not even like fully understand why exactly it's so harmful until, as you said, you know, you get a little bit older and you start to have the ability to have, you know, higher critical thinking operations on board in the system up here. Right. Um, But really what I wanted to talk about was the reason that this is so harmful as it's happening and as you then analyze it, if if you get to a point where you start to try to analyze and and maybe deconstruct some of this, is because it's talking, it's it we're we're getting to the core of who you are told to be as as literally a human being and, and who you who you are as a person. And when we get that foundational, it's uh I, I, there's really no way for me to make it hyperbole of it. It's the most difficult thing you will ever have to deconstruct and, and work through because you're, you're told your whole life you are one thing. And then if you start to lean into that dissonance and listen to it and try to question that narrative, it will quite literally like we're talking about the foundation right this is if you if you are a house and all of a sudden you realize the foundation itself is not is no longer something that you want 
to be continuing to build your house on, then you're like, cool. So I have to literally tear down the entire house so that I can tear down the foundation and you're starting all over from scratch. And when I say foundational, when I say core, when I say identity, we're going to go all the way to infancy and, and early, early childhood where within a lot of these religious ideologies. And again, this isn't speaking for every religion, but this is where it's going to get a little personal, right? Like in, in our faith system, in the, in the system of Catholicism, literally like the instant that you exist, you are told there's something fundamentally wrong and broken with you. We, we have a teaching, the, the Catholic church has a teaching of original sin. And that is to say that literally every single human being that gets brought into this world gets brought into this world with a stain, with with something already from from the literal instant that they exist. You're already broken. You're already stained. There's already something wrong with you. And then that stain, even if you go and you get baptized, which is what you're taught to do to get rid of the stain, there's still from the core of who you are. And then I think this gets broader because I think a lot of the umbrella of Christianity teaches this, which is that like at the core of who you are, from the foundation of the moment you come into this world, you are tending toward badness. You're broken. You're missing something. You're flawed. And... That's just the way it is, like from a baby, from a toddler, from a child, like doesn't matter. Like you have no, at no point in your life are you taught that you are a whole complete, like well human being. Like you're taught from the very beginning that there's something really, really, really at the core of who you are, fundamentally broken, that consistently relies upon this external source to fix that problem. And that's incredibly disruptive to your sense of self. It literally integrates into how you problem solve, how you think, how you show up to this world is that if your premise is, oh, everything about me leans to the bad part or the evil part or the stained or sinful nature. It's like there's always going to be a need for some kind of savior or need for some kind of relief from that. And so it's like this, like, you know, vicious cycle, like you're always inherently bad. So you're always going to need this like sovereign savior kind of thing. Right. And so this is, this is one of the things that I wanted before we move on to the foundation, uh, before we move deeper into this example, one thing I wanted to say, CA, was when you were talking about the foundation, because we don't, we, as children, we don't have the critical thinking yet. We don't have the, um, the, all the pieces. We don't have all the pieces until much later in our life. All right. We're only giving tiny little fractions of like sense of self or how do we understand the world? Right. We understand things in very simplistic mindsets. Right. When we're younger, that doesn't mean we're not intelligent. It just means we don't have all the tools in front of us yet. OK, because of that, that foundation that we're standing on, like CA said, in order to if you realize that's not the one you have to you have to deconstruct it, you have to you have to do something to move 
that foundation to become more of your own. What I hear a lot is the the like a pivot point for people is that they'll stand on their foundation and they'll be like, I didn't choose these building blocks. I didn't choose the blocks that I am inherently evil. I never said I was. It just was told to me. And I didn't have enough tools to say, wait, I didn't have the critical thinking lens, lens to be like, wait, why am I inherently evil or why? Like, and, and you hear it, you hear it around seven, eight years old. That's why many faith systems will have certain things that start shifting around seven, eight, nine years old, which in our faith system, we do. It used to be around confirmation time. They used to have our, our religion used to have people confirm an adult decision around that age because they'd ask a lot of questions. And if you know any seven or eight year old or nine year old, they will be like, wait, you said that like God knows everything, but like, why doesn't he know this? And like, if he knows this, then why is he setting us up for failure? And why, and that, why are they asking those questions? Because they're understanding more of a critical lens. So they ask those questions and they don't understand why there aren't these like, like resolute answers. They're like, why are, why aren't these things like, like, why are these things so complex? And the, most of the time the parents are like, oh, well, that's just an unknown. Or we don't really know the complexities of God's or God and we don't ask the complexities of God, right? And so they give you this like bypass answer. But what happens is now all of a sudden you're like, okay, I guess I'll accept that answer because I don't have more tools. I don't have more ability to answer. And so this is why I, I wanted to say this in the beginning because many times when we're talking to people who have religious trauma, they will be talking about like this lack of sovereignty over their thinking or over their feeling, or they'll be wanting to explore a side of who they are. And then they're basically, there's this other part of them that says, well, that's bad, or we're going to fill you with shame, or we're going to fill you with guilt while you're exploring that. And that's what I mean by you standing in the house and being like, I didn't put these building blocks here. The things that I'm standing on, the guilt and shame that constantly come into my life, I didn't even put here. Somebody else put them here for me. I didn't even get the choice. I didn't even get the choice to put them there, which means the only thing that I have to do now is I have to do the work. You you put that into my life, That whoever that was, either a religious system or a parent system or whatever, you put the building blocks here and I'm the one that has to pick up the pieces. I'm the one that has to deconstruct and get all of this foundation uprooted and now have to lay my own foundation with my own critical lens, with my own critical thinking and with my own sovereignty. I have to do that work, which is why this is so frustrating. And I wanna, I wanted to introduce this to you guys because when we start really talking about religious trauma, a lot of time there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of anger and there's a lot of grief. And a lot of that anger is righteous it, and not in a religious way. It is is rightful. It is rightfully there. <laughs> rightfully there to be standing on a house being like, I am looking under my feet and I didn't put these blocks here, but you're telling me I have to do the work to get these out and reconstruct this entire house. That's what you're telling me I have to do in order to feel free. That's, I'm sorry, absolutely validate that anger because that's so upsetting. It's so upsetting. And then we have the grief, right? Because you're standing in the house. And now you look over to the street that the family that never had any of these ideologies got taught, you look over at your neighbor and you're like, yeah, I know he had some issues, but like, he seems pretty set. Like he, I talked to him. He's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had to do some work, but nothing, nothing, nothing major. 
I haven't had to do major reconstruction of this house. I've had to, I've had to work on some parts of it. There's been some things I've replaced in some additions and some things I've, you know, uprooted, but I haven't had to do this complete overhaul. So what do you do? You sit there and naturally, I just want to validate this. You're going to grieve. I don't get to do, I have to wipe this entire thing down in order to rebuild it. Whereas I'm frustrated that I'm watching other people never have that concept. They never were told they were bad. They were never told they were like sinful or there's this like inherent problem to be solved within themselves. And so there's this grief of like looking around and being like, oh my God, I, well, not God. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't understand why I have this task in front of me when other people don't. Okay, so this is why I think it's important for you to hear like foundationally. This is what starts happening is you start getting kind of upset when you have to be the adult and you look at your childhood self and said, you didn't get to choose. Child Jamie didn't get to choose who taught her her worth and who taught her her sense of self. I didn't. I didn't get to do that. And so there's anger for her. And there's grief. And it's just. It's, it is. It's just anger. When you were never even given an alternative option for what types of foundational stones to build your foundation with. When it was just this, this is it. This is the only type of blocks you're allowed to build with. And right, like you said, then you you grow up and you look around and you see other people built theirs with completely other types of stones. And you're like, nobody ever told me that that was a stone I could have used. What if I wanted to use that one instead? Oh, no, sorry. We 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 only use granite. Yeah, well, they used marble. Like, I don't know. I know nothing about foundations or what they're made out of cement, whatever. Um, But like, that's that's what's the anger. And that's what the grief is, right? That like, there were other options and you were never given them. And then this was just kind of like forced upon you. And then now you're the one that has to deal with the the fallout of it and it's a lot of work and I, I think that's what is really hard about us it's like man like we're just like I just want to live my life <laughs> I don't have time to do all of this emotional processing and, and foundational shifting and like it takes up a lot of time and energy I wish I could be using that time and energy to do other things with my life but now I have to devote so much of my time and energy and if you're in there being money and all of this stuff like to fix problems that I never chose. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. It is. So just that's valid. <laughs> I think like, and this is why when I asked CA about examples, like when she was talking about the, you know, you know, that inherent, I know that certain Christian, I don't even want to bypass this at all because yes, me and CA, you know, grew up in, you know, the Christian umbrella, but then obviously the subsect of Catholicism. There are some religions and it's not even always under the Christian umbrella. There are some religions that are like, oh yeah, that's like a huge principle. Like that's literally a principle of like how we teach people why we need God. Like think about that. If we go to the bare boats, like what, (laughs) what would be one of the first things you would need to teach someone? It's like, why do you need God? Like, why do we need God in our lives? Right? That's a philosophical question. I, one of the things I want to say, like, is that we're going to, in this series, 
mainly be speaking about Christianity. Why? Well, because that's our experience. That's what we know the most about. I don't know about you, Jamie, as like as far as like how deep into other religions you became educated. I literally almost majored in theology at one point. And so I did take a few courses on like world religions and things like that. But we're talking like basic. Like I have really basic knowledge about what other belief systems teach. And I do not at all feel qualified to speak about other religions other than the one that I personally was raised in. So if you feel like we're picking on Christianity, or if you were raised in a different religion besides Christianity, and some of the stuff we're saying also matches your faith system, but we're not specifically saying that, like, we just, it's because we just don't know necessarily, or if it doesn't apply to your faith system, like, again, we don't know what it's like to be raised in any version of Judaism or Islam or most Eastern spiritualities. Like I, I know very basics about those types of religions. So it's not that we're picking on Christianity or anything like that. It's just that this is our experience and the types of people that we speak with, live with, work with, we're, that's what we're coming from. And so that's kind of like why we're going to focus on that. So I think that's maybe throughout this, you might get random caveats like that, but that's another one I wanted to say is uh, that's just, that's what we know. And so that's where we're coming from. Right. But I think that's what, that's what is so interesting is that like, yes, we can speak from that Christian concept of like how someone taught us why we need God. And so when we, when we explore these things, it's going to probably, you're going to hear it from that Christian lens. Um, but what I was saying is that example of like, okay, so think of just like starting blank slate, you know, whatever, like whatever philosophical concept that is. But like, if you think about like, there's nothing, nobody has any opinions or anything. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to introduce you to the concept of God, I kind of need to create motivators for why you would want to shift your ideology around that. Okay. And like, in this case, let's pretend it's not a kid just for the sake of like, you know, higher critical thought. Okay. (laughs) Like, how would I convince someone to be like, Hey, I know that you know nothing about like, maybe they've been living in a place that got untouched by any type of, you know, that kind of devotion. And you're introducing to them, the concept of this Christian God, like, how do you convince someone to like, care enough to want to worship slash devote their life to them slash change their change who they are around this concept of God. And this is one of the core concepts we wanted to cover is fear. (laughs) Okay. And it's interesting because me and CA were born and bred in this Christian ideology. And so what we first got introduced to was this like cushy, fluffy, God is eternal, God is love, God is everything, you know, fluffy man in the, you know, pie in the sky. Like he's just this comfort, blanket, daddy, whatever. (laughs) Um, And so as a kid, you're like, oh, cool. I have like another person in my corner that can kind of like comfort me and be there for me. And then it gets a little bit more tricky, right? Because it goes from that to, oh, honey, yeah, we know that you can go to him when you're crying. But also when you're a bad girl, he he watches you. 
When you think bad thoughts, he hears you. When you want to be, you know, mean, he already knows what you're going to do. Okay, so what does that start sounding like? It, it's, not, it's like the God, of, the God of fear and love, and they're the same thing. And I'm supposed to like kind of blend that as a, you know, seven-year-old child. Like it's like, okay. So it's almost like, well, which one am I getting right now? And I don't know. Is it like the enforcer or is it the like daddy role like kind of thing? Um, But CA and I talked about this and like, this is one of the things we wanted to start with because it's like, if you think about motivating someone, and this is just on a psychological way, on a psychological concept, right? If you think of like, how do people go to war? How do people, right? We got motivators. We got financial motivators. We got like uh, psychological motivators. We got the like the ultra, you know, fundamental motivators where like if you're very, very, very rigid in a specific thought, you will do anything for that thought kind of thing. Um, but if I dwindled all of those things down, what are our main motivators? Fear and love? Reward, I mean, I, right? Reward, yeah, it's the carrot and the stick. And love, yeah. reward, like, yeah, like you know, what are we doing? The reward or the um, the taking away of a reward, right? So you either work to get something or you work to like not have something taken away, right? That reinforcement model, like positive, negative, you know, the different psychological concept. So. This is why I'm thinking, okay, so love would be like you're getting something, like giving, something's giving to you. And then like fear is, no, 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 we're going to take what you have if you don't do it, right? And so when you think about fear being a core concept of religious trauma, my my envision or my envisionment of like how this would like play out is like, I basically tell you like, you're inherently bad. And if you don't follow this, I'm taking something that is inherently in you, which is, let's say, your salvation, right? Which is why we have to come up with the concept of like your salvation. Like you are going to be judged. You are going to be eventually in the pits of hell or the, you know, amplification of heaven and the glory of heaven. Okay. So, that creates internal motivators, right? It, it creates internal motivators. So as a kid, I hear, well, why do I have to be good? Right? I, I you know, I shuck my brother's, you know, toy across the room and mom says, you got to be good. And I go, why? <laughs> right? There's a couple of things she can say. She can say, because we value your brother and we don't want to hurt him. She also could say, we value your brother. We don't want to hurt you. And you're going to go to hell. Or she could just bypass, we don't want to hurt your brother and just say, well, you're going to go to hell. So don't do that. Right. And it's like, all of a sudden, this is why we're trying to introduce this because there's layers of like how we conceptualize good and bad and like how we conceptualize what is the reason we almost like treat ourselves well and treat others well. Right? So why would we treat ourselves well? Because we are a child of God. And why do we treat others well? Because they're a child of God. Right? And so it's all around this like divinity, which in theory sounds fine. Like if I just left it at that, 
that sounds pretty innocent, right? <laughs> right? But what about the people that aren't child of God? What do I do? Like, see, <laughs> like when someone says to you, like, oh, we don't throw that because they're a child of God. And then the dude comes back. I'm a teenager. And I'm like, that entire family doesn't believe in God. And then what did the parents say? They can, they, there's a couple of different narratives that can come out of that. And this is why, this is that part of the podcast, guys, that we're warning you. Some parents are going to give the very like healthy mind space of like, okay, but they are inherent, you know, they, they deserve inherent dignity. And then some parents are going to be like, you're right. We either need to convert them or they don't deserve to be treated well. Mm -hmm. Which, it, uh, listen, if you're listening to this right now, I know there's probably like a lot of you right now that are going like, parents would never say that to their kids. That's not real. It is. Okay. And so this is where we're literally asking you to expand beyond your personal experience and make space for the fact that like, genuinely like we're not making this up there there literally are ideologies out there that teach that those who are not saved they are not children of the christian god are less valuable than those who are that is a real teaching throughout the history it's it's one of the motivating Current. teachings actually Current. currently um but it was one of the motivating teachings within like the church that literally we're not going to go down a rabbit hole, but that was one of the motivating teachings that motivated like the, the evangelization of the whole world, right. Yeah. Of like or being allowed to literally yeah. just go around and straight up, like take over entire civilizations. And it was because the foundational teaching was that these people literally are less than unless they decide to give their soul to the Christian God and then they can be on an equal value level. But I just, I really needed to say that because like, I, I know that it seems kind of out there. If you were raised in a healthier version of Christianity or without Christianity, you might be like, that's wild. Nobody, nobody would say that to their, yeah, yeah, they would. They would. People out there saying it. They literally are. There are people that believe that you are less valuable if you have not given your soul to the Christian God. Well, see, and I like to point this out because I always got confused as this, and this is me going to talk for my own stuff. I always got confused about this because there would be that ide ideology where it would be like, I would be looking at it. And I remember this as a teenager. This is totally like me being blatantly honest. Like I remember being so upset about all of like the sexual rules. And I was like, oh my God, like I have to be like, I have to be like, protecting dudes purities but then I have to protect mine and I like don't get to like explore anything and like I would be so angry but then I would see non-believers doing that whatever the fuck they want and I'd be like why are they not, not looked fair. at as sinful no and I would not only say I would it would I would say it's not fair but I would bring this up and I'd be like okay but like so I'm list I'm being the good you know religious person and these people aren't and like what is going on like with that? Like, I would be like, well, what, like, why wouldn't I just do that? And they'd be like, well, they don't, they're not in the grace of God and God isn't blessing them. And I'd be so confused because I'm like, well, like, they so are they less, <laughs> I'd be like, so are they less than like, are they going to hell? Like, 
am I supposed to think that I'm better than them? Like, well, I don't, I'm right. so confused because I would look at like my peers that are just doing their own thing, like living their life, have no Christian or no religious like background. And they just be like chilling. Like, yeah, they, they have the same like teenage angst that I do. But like, I remember being like, what's stopping me from just exploring that part of me? And they'd be like, hell. <laughs> And I'd be like, okay, so like, but you teach. And this is what, this is literally one of the things that always got me hung up, guys, was that God in his ultimate forgiveness would just give you the opportunity at death to like claim him as the savior and you could, in theory, be saved, right? And so this is one of the things, and if you know any Christian or Catholic uh, you know, whatever, like teenager, this is actually a mentality that many Catholic or, well, at least you know what I'm going to say, right? There's this thing in Catholicism called confession. And there are adults that also adhere to this where they go, well, I'll just sin. I'll just go like, fuck that dude. And I'll just go to confession because God will forgive me anyways. And like, obviously we both have been very educated we didn't really give you guys that background, but both of us steeped ourselves very deeply into Catholicism. This is not an uneducated like viewpoint when we speak from Catholicism because we lived and breathed it. We are very strictly in this. So I knew, I knew that that was actually a false understanding of forgiveness. Like I did, I knew that that was a false understanding of forgiveness, but so many people would be like, well, God will forgive me anyway. So why don't I do whatever the fuck I want? And why don't I go sin and, you know, ask God to let me back into the fold, right? And so what that happened, this is why I'm pointing this out. Why this is so confusing to personal, like personal identity formation is that you got so many mixed messages of like, what made you worthy? Was it your willing to ask for forgiveness? Was it you being, you know, pure and stainless and never, ever offending God? Was it having pure thoughts? Was it having pure actions? Because then we would get the, you know, prodigal son narrative. Oh my God, he was the biggest sinner. And I, me as a teenager, I'd be like, why can't I have a prodigal son moment? Can I just be a prodigal son for like a couple years? And then like, be that glorified person that got a, got a place in the Bible? Like, dude, the dude got like glorified and got like tons of stuff after he was this mega sinner. I'm like, should I be more of a sinner? To like, these are, this is why I literally, and I'm just being brilliantly honest. Like yeah, there would be, yeah. there were moments when I was a teenager and I was like, I'm not really sinning that much. I mean, I'm hearing the story of prodigal son. Like maybe I could like go deeper into this. Maybe and I should then kick it up a notch. <laughs> then I could go back to the fold and then they love me more. Right? Like I'm sitting here like that might be a good idea, but this is why I'm pointing this out when we're talking about like the actual like self growth and the, the religious trauma, we got so many mixed messages. And a lot of those messages were based on like the fear of the other side. So what kept me in line for so many years? Honestly, it was fear because I sat there and I go, CA brought this up right before we started recording. And I, I really want you to expand on this CA. But what kept me in check for so many years was the fact that like, God could come like a thief in the night and I could get literally like I could die of an aneurysm when I literally just slept with the dude. Right? Like, and then what would happen? Would I be able to be saved? Would I be able to come back in the fold? Would I be able to go to confession or would I? No, 
So then there's this like massive fear within me that God takes me in the height of my sin. And then I go, uh, sorry, you caught me in the height of my sin. Like daddy God, like, do you forgive me? Like, you know, I, and that was a thing that kept me in check for so many years. So I did want CA to take a second to expand on that because that whole like hovering God, God of our thoughts, God of our emotions, like the hovering big brother aspect is so, so deeply rooted in the traumatization that is found within the religious concept. So like, yeah. So without trying to get like too deep into theology, this is what's going to be like tricky about running this series is that like, it's so easy to like go down these rabbit holes and like dive into the, like the theological elements here. I'm going to keep trying to like make sure we stay steered on yeah. the, the aspects of experience that created the the trauma and the dissonance and what it is that we are trying to work through moving forward, developing a healthier sense of self. It's not going to be easy uh, because with this one, it, it's hard because it's like, I, I think that a lot of times the Christian mindset tries to like hit us at different angles because I, I the, the carrot and the stick really is the best explanation of this because I think they there's an understanding that just one or the other isn't strong enough on its own as a motivator. And so you kind of need both. And they they sort of, and this is why for a lot of people, they're going to come through Christianity not traumatized at all. Because like maybe they only ever leaned into the carrot, right? Which, you know, arguably, psychologically speaking, is not healthy. And there's there's a whole other realm of <laughs> psychology you can go down to with that as well, because it's still external motivator versus internal motivator. But so, yeah, you mean like the carrot, like I'm only thinking about the reward and I can the reward. I want exactly. God forgives me like that. No, like I never what I'm what with. I mean is people being in their Christian religion and they are still like moderating their behavior according okay. to Christian laws and rules. But they're doing it from this place of goodness and and, mm. and wanting the good. I want to just take care of myself and I want to take care of my neighbor and pray for my enemy and love God. And it's like they're doing it just for the good reasons, right? They're not doing it because of the fear and the shame and the and the judgment and all of that. So like that might get you through yeah. fairly unscathed, right? Like you might just be like, no, I only ever chose those behaviors because I was told that that was the best way to care for another human being's soul. And, and, you know, like, so like, I do want to like make space for the fact that like, there is a way to come through Christianity (laughs) relatively unscathed person, you know, it, it is possible. Um, but this is where it gets really complex is for people who were getting either all fear, right. And there are some sects of Christianity that are so fear-based that it's literally like it it it, it it's it encompasses every waking thought of these people it's, is just it's fear, a fear, it's fear, a power, fear, 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 power and control, right? power and control. But yeah, then sure. I'd say like the vast majority, this is why it's so complex, is because we are getting an interwoven both and motivating message. So at times you're you're being told, oh, the reason you know, that you're not supposed to 
have sex before marriage is because that is, you know, protecting the soul yes. of yeah. this other person other and, 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 you yes. know, and you want to treat them as a, as a whole human being, not just, you don't, you're not, um, commodifying or what's the word like uh, objectifying, yeah. objectifying. Yeah. You're not objectifying them and just using their body and using your body. Like, you know, there is this like overarching, like more positive motivating reason, like, Oh, to do it for these good reasons. And and like that's the message usually that they'll lead with. If you were at like youth group or CCD classes right. or whatever, like you, you are usually led. It's the fluffy with, daddy in the sky, like yes. the kid thing. Like you got led by like the yes. love, like narrative. You were usually yes. led with that. And for some people, that's enough. And they're like, that makes sense. Okay, I'll make those decisions based on that. But for a lot of people, then you're like, there's questions or there's okay, well, like, I get that, but what if I mess up? What if I do step outside of that rule or restriction? You know, then what happens, right? And, like, that's the natural flow of conversation. And then that's when they swoop in with the stick, right? The, well, then if that happens, you get punished. And then you're like, okay, well, what's the punishment look like? And this varies from faith system to faith system of how severe uh, they're going to lay on that fear, but ultimately, you know, it's, well, that action is not of God. So you're going to be cut off from God's love and grace, not love. Okay. Usually it's not love, but you will be cut off from God's grace, whatever that means. And so therefore, when that happens, you have to do something to fix and make up for that like rift that you just created with your action. And if you don't, if you don't fix it, then you could at any moment die in that severed state where you have cut yourself off from the grace of God because of your choice. And if that happens, they'll say, "What? God, his hands are tied. He has to send you to hell. He doesn't want to. He loves you. But like... What's he gonna you do? made that decision. It's you. You 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 died in a state of sin. There's nothing he can do. His hands are tied. So and and so that's the that's really what it comes down to is then like and so then pair that with consistent messaging about this judgment moment, which is told to you could happen in a number of ways. Right? You could die. And then that's your own personal moment of face the music and whatever state of sin your soul was in. Like, sorry, dude, like, this is it. This is how you died. So you're going to go to the good place or the bad place. Um, And then or it could be the ultimate, right? The second coming. God's coming back. And at that moment, it could happen at any moment. And you're giving this message consistently. That it's gonna it's gonna happen just like randomly. Could happen right now, could happen tomorrow. And this is a message that's been going on in all of church history. And you know, we're many thousands of years later, a couple thousand years later, but it still could happen. You know, and you're literally told that at any moment this is gonna happen. And then the whole world, now it's gonna happen to all of us, all at once, and you're gonna be separated sheep from the goats and you know this group gets the heaven this group gets the fire and so when you are developing as we said your sense of self with this 
your the reason it's harmful. This is why I need to like go back. <laughs> theology aside, theology aside. We can argue theology till the cows come home. And that's a fun type of conversation to have. But our podcast is about self-healing and self-growth. And so why is this harmful to our sense of self and our sense of worthiness? Is because we in that steeped like stew of religious and mental like soup, we are sitting there with so many contradictions and questions that you you basically just learn to live in a constant state of self-doubt, of of not really understanding parts of yourself, of not being able to explore parts of yourself, of being shamed, ashamed of parts of yourself. And there's so much confusion and you, you're taught to self-gaslight throughout this entire experience, right? Like what, what I mean by that is if you have a thought or a feeling or an action that went against what the church says is okay, but this part of you didn't think that that was wrong, then you have to self-gaslight. You have to like this part of yourself has to convince the other part of yourself, no, that was bad. That was wrong. You weren't supposed to feel that. You weren't supposed to do that. And so you're creating as I think we, I don't know if we, did we mention it in this or was this when we were talking? You're creating your own enemy inside of yourself and the enemy is yourself. You're literally developing conflicting selves and there's the one self of you that's just kind of like a human being trying to understand life and trying to live and make it through this world and have experiences and develop the different parts of yourself. And then there's this other self that is being actively formed by all these external sources. And in this series, we're exploring the religious external, the religion external. And there's others, but for the sake of this series, we're talking about when the religion is influencing the development of this self, it's telling you, this is who you are. This is what you're worth. This is how to act. This is how to think. And this is why. And this is why, you know, the carrot and the stick. And so this part of you, that's the internal, the like deep, authentic internal self is in a constant conversation with this other self that you're being told you are and have to be. And that is religious trauma. That is where we are moving forward, probably into the next part of the series where we're going to get into what happens now when these two conflicting selves do start to have that conversation. And what does that look like? And what does that feel like? Right. I think that's, that's a good place for us to kind of like, (sighs) because we are going to have to separate this into sections. But I think if we look at this, like wrapping up this episode for you guys, like I want you guys to think about at the core of honestly, most trauma is going to be some kind of severing off of your identity or severing of the sense of self. Okay. So whatever happened that caused that is really where we're trying to like start. That's literally where we're starting. We're saying, where is the sever? Like, what is the, what is the moment where you felt disembodied from who you really were? Or 
what voices were inside of you that were saying you don't get to explore or feel or express or emote through that because it's unsafe or you're going to end up literally like your salvation is at risk if you do explore that part of yourself, right? That the one thing I wanted to touch on before we ended the episode was this concept of and we this is where I I hope us bringing to the next part we're going to start with, which is you not being able to fully allow your emotions to flow. And what I mean by that is when CA, we were talking a little bit before that, when someone's hovering over your thoughts, like God is hovering over your thoughts and he's saying like, you're not allowed to feel that sexual urge. Okay. What happens is if we're talking about like, you know, you're an adult, you're consenting, like things are, you're doing things safe or whatever. And you're feeling like sexually attracted to someone and they're feeling sexually attracted to you. And let's say oh my gosh, it's, let's say, uh, someone of the same gender or someone that in your religion is like, that's so, so not acceptable kind of thing. Um, Like even people who are not married, like it's unacceptable for you to sexually be with someone who's not your spouse, right? So like, if you're very sexually attracted to your partner that you just happen to not be married to, what's happening is your especially when you were raised in this ideology, it's, there is these two selves. There is, I feel like I'm in the sexual energy. I feel good about possibly exploring that. I want to explore that. It feels safe. I feel like I am consenting. I feel like I'm doing everything right here. And there's this other part of you that is hovering over that's saying, you're not even allowed to feel that thought. That's a bad thought. You can't think anything sexual about that person or you're objectifying them. You are taking them away from their future spouse. You are taking, defiling them by just thinking about them, right? And this is why I wanted to touch on this before we go into the next episode, because there is something missing when we do not journey into that emotion. And what I mean by something missing is we have to learn moderation of those thoughts, okay? Because if for some reason we take like a sexual thought and we don't explore it and then we basically make it like that hard to get like, oh, that's really, really like alluring or, you know, oh, it's that bad girl side of me that get, that thinks about this stuff. All of the sudden, now it's this two selves at odds with each other, right? And so I have to make a decision. I have to say, which side of me am I going to kind of go with today? And if I go with the bad side, like I'm now almost like creating more of a divide within myself, right? Now I'm making the the the, the crevasse like bigger. Like I'm making the like widening bigger, like because there's the good Jamie and there's the bad Jamie. And when I lean more into the bad Jamie, I'm kind of giving her more power. And what happens when we're doing religious trauma deconstruction is the bad Jamie is anyone. Let me take out the sexual stuff. Now we're taking out the sexual example. Any thought that would lead me to a greater understanding of sense of self without God. Right. So if all of a sudden now I'm saying now it's nothing to do with sexuality, now it's just the concept of I don't resonate with this teaching anymore. 
I don't really believe that I'm inherently bad. I don't really believe that this is how I need to understand, you know, how to raise my family. I don't believe that that's the political system that's more of my religious faith. I don't believe that, right? So all of a sudden, that's the bad Jamie. The bad Jamie is the one that's starting to question the sense of self that doesn't align with the sense of self that someone formed for me, right? And so what happens, and this is what we're going to touch on, is how does the faith system react to that? Because if I go to my faith system and I say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to, I don't really think that teaching aligns with me anymore. There's so many things. There's so many narratives get thrown at you. Are you better than God? Do you think that you're going to underestimate thousands of years of church teaching? Do you think you're more than that? This is a, this is a matter of pride. Or here's the worst case scenario. You were so religious and now you're coming to me with this. There has to be a spirit of evil within you something's off. There's either a sense of oppression going on or there's something going on that's like disrupting your spirit. There must be something held onto you, right? This is in the Christian Protestant circles. It's like the spirit of, oh my gosh, what do they call it? Um, is it contempt? I I hope some of the right. listeners can write well, it's into it. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. the spirit of like rebuke or something where like basically if you have any questioning of the faith, some kind of spirit got a hold of you to make you feel that way. Spirit of confusion, yeah. spirit of, sure. you know. Literally, they'll just like any, right. any, any, any word, right? Spirit of doubt, spirit of, yeah, like you said, confusion. But yeah, it's some X, ex- again, because everything is seen through an external lens, well, then there must be some external force that is causing these thoughts, right? Because then, if you developed right. in a system that taught you not to have internal motivators, then anytime anything happens, there's some external cause. <laughs> right. Or and then or it's like the both and it's the there's an external cause and what did you do to allow that to happen? How many thoughts did you think before this sexual urge became a spirit of like, you know, lust? that got a hold of you. There's like the demon within you that wants you to, you know, have sex all the time. There must be something so inherently wrong with you. So they ask you, what were you doing to allow that to become? Like, what did you open yourself up to, to allow that spirit to take hold of you? Right. And I know that like some of the people that are listening that might be raised Catholic, they're like, no, that didn't get taught. And it's not that common, by the way, this is something that this is something that is sometimes found in the deeper, like depths of fundamentalism, evangelical, um, yeah, or Mm -hmm. evangelical. But it also I mean, we I got pretty close when I was in my fundamental time that it definitely leaned pretty darn close to what I just said, which was Mm -hmm. anytime there was a real doubt, like a real thing inside of me that was trying to advocate for my own autonomy, I would be like, I don't know if that's true. And people would be like, are you sure you're not like getting oppressed by the demon? Like, is the, is the evil one getting a hold of you? Like we have to pray. We have to get some of these prayers over you. So you get protected because this doubt doesn't sound like you, Jamie. It sounds like something got a hold of you. Right? So what they're telling you is that inside of you, your internal voice is the enemy. Your internal, like, clarity that's trying to advocate for some kind of like, hey, this doesn't resonate with us 
is the enemy. And so when that voice becomes the enemy, it feels so violating because you don't know what to do. You feel as though, am I, am I lit? Is something it's, it's more, it's like the five-year-old girl being told she's bad brought to the biggest fruition you can take it, which is I am so inherently bad that I invited evil into my life by thinking this sexual thought or by thinking this bad thing, which means here's the, here's the kicker. I didn't learn a skill behind mitigating that sexuality or that sexual thought. I didn't learn any skills around it. I just learned that I was bad for having it. And I had to go to the church to help me fix it. I didn't get taught the skill, which is like, hey, um, you know, maybe you really are attracted to that person, but you're not going to always be able to do that. And you need to learn some self-moderation. Okay. That's not what I'm getting taught. I'm getting taught to like go bypass that skill set and like only get taught to like seek out external sources of wisdom, not within myself, but from other people and look for validation, look for confirmation, look for accountability, but I don't hold myself accountable, right? That's the that's the tricky part is that if I, and, and this is why I want to give the caveat of like, there are some Christians that are like, no, absolutely. I would hold myself accountable if it got to the point where I was like not happy with myself. And we get that. I understand that. But I get concerned with people who are like, no, the only real accountability I have is the God of, you know, the nations. And he's the one that keeps me in check. I go, well, what about you? Do you keep yourself in check? Do you keep yourself in check? Are you developing skills to keep yourself in order, to keep your emotions in order, to keep your urges in order? Are you developing that? Because if you're not, that's actually really scary. And I think that this is a good place to, For us to move into part two is talking about this exact topic right here. Yeah. Yes. All right. So join us for part two. We are going to be doing multiple parts, if you can't tell, because we barely scratched the surface. <laughs> join us for part two. We will try to not make it so, you know, we're going to be doing these weekly, but we will be doing them consecutively. So join us for next part. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at The Unlearned Podcast or our individual Instagrams at Recollected Self and CAs is at Embracing Divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is 
I want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become. And this is how we do the work.